0: What's up everybody? This is Cortland from indiehackers.com and you're listening to the Indie Hackers podcast. More people than ever are building cool stuff online and making a ton of money in the process. And on this show, I talk to these indie hackers to learn about the latest ideas, opportunities, and strategies they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. If you've been listening in and enjoying the show, do me a favor, leave a quick rating for us on Apple Podcasts. In this episode, I sat down for a casual chat with Mubashar Iqbal. Mubbs is one of my buddies. He's been on the podcast before. He's probably the most prolific indie hacker that I know. He's got something like 100 side projects under his belt. And today we talked about the podcasting space. How much bigger can podcasts get? Where are the opportunities for indie hackers to build cool stuff here?
1: And what is Mubs himself working on? We're still like right at the beginning of this thing in terms of like podcasting. Yeah, I know it's been around since like what, 2005, I think was the first podcast or whatever. So it's been like 15 years, but it feels like there's still like so much room for people to kind of really make a lot of money in this space and to, Yeah, and just for a lot of interesting things still to happen, I think, especially from the content side. Like New York Times has been on a purchasing spree as well, where they've been acquiring uh, podcasts as well. So I think from the content side, there's a consolidation happening. From the creation side, you know, there's been some acquisitions there, but I think they're just like the number of like tools ever side and stuff that are just like popping up to make recording podcasts and video as well, like really easy as well. Right. And so yeah, so I think there's like lots. The different avenues in terms of the sort of industry isn't like just about making a simple, here's a podcast in here, now you can listen to it. But kind of as we talked about, there's like podcast studios who are kind of organizing around like a whole slew of different podcasts. But then there's all these tools that are right. coming up as well. And yeah, it's just a really active and really interesting space. Yeah. So
0: you're working on Founder Path right now. You're full time on Founder Path. Yes. But being Mubs, obviously <laughs> you've got a lot of other stuff going on on the side. And a lot of the stuff we're working on is in the podcast space. So maybe we should start just by talking about what you're working on. Yeah. I know that you're working on Podhunt, which the last time we spoke about, and I haven't checked out the website in maybe a few months, but I assume it's probably still the same. It's basically like Product Hunt for podcasts. So if you want to discover the best podcast episodes, you can go to Podhunt and it's like every week or every month. You take the best podcast episodes, everybody can upvote them, and then you can discover what you want to listen to.
1: Yeah, it hasn't changed much because it doesn't really need to change much. Like there's not really too much functionality to really add there in terms of like the core functionality of the sort of site itself. Yeah, it's just like you said, people come in, they sign up, they can submit episodes, they can they can upvote episodes. And then we just have kind of like this daily leaderboard of what people have upvoted and what people have submitted. Right. Like I said, it's been around for about 14 months now. You know, I'm still the most active user on it, which is, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad, but you know, it kind of is what it is. But yeah, but people are, I mean, like every week, you know, people are submitting their own episodes, people are submitting other people's episodes as well. So I feel like the traction's increasing rather than decreasing, which I think is obviously a good sign. And so, yeah, so that's an interesting one. You know, it's an interesting one, mostly because just like with product on, I don't really see like a clear path to like making lots of money with it because, you know, it's one of these interesting things that people would use if it's free, but I don't know that people would actually pay to kind of use it. Like if, like if product and went to a fully paid model where people had to pay to use product I don't know that people would use it that much (laughs) anymore.
0: Yeah, it seems like one of these ideas where you probably just try to make it big. Yeah. And once it's bigger, you look for avenues to make money with it. And right now you've got a cool kind of part of it, which is the newsletter. And it says, get the best new podcast delivered to your inbox weekly. I think the newsletter could be an interesting avenue because so many people are making money on newsletters nowadays. And even if people don't like build a habit of showing up To Podhunt.app, your website, and you know, habitually checking that every single week or every single day, they do check their email every day, and if every day they're getting a list of the best podcasts to listen to, and it's pretty much like in the startup slash tech space, those are all the podcasts that seem to get uploaded to your site for the most part. I could see people paying to subscribe to that, especially if there's some like editorial behind it, where like maybe you or maybe you bring in someone who wants to start a newsletter and it can't you know really get off the ground doesn't have an audience but they can just come run your newsletter and it already has 600 subscribers maybe they do like a revenue share with you or something so they're producing the content editorializing it and you split it i can see people paying for that that aspect of it
1: I think every day would probably be a bit of a stretch, but I think once a week I think would, would kind of work, especially if we're focusing in that kind of a startup, kind of indie hacker scene, kind of that space, just because yeah. I don't think there's that many podcasts coming out every day that would kind of make it worthwhile. you basically have like one episode every day, <laughs> which would right. probably wouldn't be too interesting. Uh, but no, having like a kind of a recap of the episode in there so people can, can kind of know what's in there, but then also like look at the impact of like if, you know, if, like, you know, we were just talking about the podcast industry. So, if there was a podcast talking about the podcast industry, having some other information that somebody could kind of like pull in, just kind of expand what's there as well, I think would be would be a really interesting thing as well. So, I think that's absolutely something I've kind of considered. You know, it's not something I can do with a full time job as well. It's kind of not. It's not a full time job, but it's but it it, but it would be quite a lot of work. I think to 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 kind of kind of make something like that really work. What's your goal with it? Like, what do you want to do with Podhunt? I built it mostly just because I like listening to podcasts and it's a tool that I thought would be interesting. You know, I, I use products. On, obviously, I've been using that for five years now. And so it's just one of, those, one, one, one of these things that didn't exist that I thought should exist. But yeah, I mean, I think longer term, my plan was always just to use it as kind of like a honeypot to kind of attract other kind of avenues of making some money. So like build some applications for either podcast listeners or for, or for podcast hosts or for podcast studios or whatever, and then just kind of use it as like a honeypot to kind of make money kind of elsewhere instead. That was, I think, always the long-term plan. Obviously, with Founder Path being, you know, my main thing now, it's it's still kind of the plan, but it's also not like a super Im- urgent, super important part of the part of the plan either. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was talking to Daniel Vasalo a few weeks ago on the podcast, and he had he's got like a SaaS app that he's working on, but he kind of like abandoned it to work on other stuff. And in the meantime, it's just kind of growing in the background. So we got it to the point where it was no longer like a cost center for him. It was actually like like break-even slash making money. And now it's just kind of growing slowly in the background. And I like how you've got so many things you're working on at all times, basically. You can kind of set it and forget it too. So you can create Pod Hunt put it online, and now people can contribute to it. It's fully right. working. People can sign up to the newsletter. It's all growing. Even if you don't really work on it <laughs> in a given week or month or something, like you'll we'll come back and it'll be like slightly bigger. Right. So it's always there for you to come back to.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things. that If you look at my, I worked on portfolio of the, you know, how I'm not going to count how many things are on there right now. But if you look through most of those, you'll see a, like probably about half of them are on like this autopilot thing. Uh, where it's like, I made it. I was really excited about making them. I still use them, but I don't really update them anymore. But they're all kind of fully automated where they just go pull some API content from somewhere or they go scrape some content from somewhere. And the people are still finding value there because the because the website's still up to date. So I built a website three years back called New Movies Coming Out. It's a website that just lists, because I was tired of like IMDB and those big news, uh, big hobby sites that... Yes, they list like what the movies are coming up, but they make it so hard to find. And, you know, I don't know what's coming out next. And I have to go like six levels deep to find the sort of that list of what's opening next week or opening the week after that. So I built this really one page website. I think I went back to it uh, about a year after I actually launched it. And there was like 1,100 people on the email list. And I was like, I haven't touched this since I launched it. And, like, where did 1,100 people come from? <laughs> and so, yeah, so that's always been kind of one of my strategies is like, yeah, I don't want to spend a lot of time working on this stuff, but once I've launched it, I don't really need to. But I can always come back to it and say, look, here's a new feature I want to add now. I and mean, now I can email it out to 1,100 people <laughs> who are actually finding value there as well. How many different mailing lists do you have right now? Yeah, that's probably a bad thing. But yeah, I think I, <laughs> I probably have, I don't know, there's probably like 20 or 30 mailing lists that I have that all have somewhere between... You've got, I'm on your portfolio, you've got... 97
0: projects <laughs> listed yes. and you've got like a status for some of them like dead autopilot active sold zomb- what does zombie
1: mean zombie just means i've stopped updating it it needs to be updated but the site's still up and it's still there it still has value from like old archived content kind of dead it's kind of dead but it's it's the living dead it's the living dead exactly and a few of them are uh are podcasting so you have yeah. got
0: pod hunt which you talked about you've got podcast hosting review yep you've got podcast ping, you got other stuff. Why are you building so much stuff in the podcast space?
1: Like you said, I think it's it's still a lot of opportunity there. But it's also an industry that I'm really interested in as well, just because I listen to a lot of podcasts. I I talk to a lot of people in the podcasting space all day long as well. And I think it's an overlap of something I'm interested in, something I see a lot of opportunity for in the future. So why not, you know, if I'm going to be spending my free time working on something, I'd rather be working on something that has potential to continue to grow rather than something that would just that's kind of already reached its plateau
0: i think a lot of people would question whether or not podcasts have much room for growth i mean it seems super saturated but then you could also go look at what some of the bigger players are doing i think uh the founder of spotify was talking about how he thinks that podcasts are still kind of early days Mm -hmm. and they're obviously investing super heavily they spent like 600 million dollars in the last year just acquiring podcasts and podcast hosting companies and podcast tools and podcast networks and they're just talking about like the fact that podcasting is going to blow up in the future and so even if you're an indie hacker trying to research and like do your own market research and you're coming up short and thinking hey podcast looks saturated you can kind of place your faith in spotify's market researching teams who clearly think there's a lot of growth coming in the future for podcasting and i have like anecdotal evidence for this too i mean Uh, I have a lot of friends who've started podcasting. I've had a lot of friends who started listening. My mom listens to podcasts (laughs) now, which is crazy to me, even though it's just my podcast, really, that she listens to. It just seems like there's a lot of room for growth.
1: Yeah. I mean, the way I see it is across all the mediums, there's been this natural trend of people start this new way of sharing content, whether it's newspaper content, whether it's TV content, whether it's radio content. It all typically starts as a hobby. Somebody, you know, puts some something out and they share it with their friends or whatever. Then it becomes kind of a little bit more mass appeal. Again, it's typically furry at that point. And then there's kind of a tipping point where it starts to get, oh, there's enough people listening now. We can kind of do advertising on it, things like that. And then it gets to the point where it's like, oh, now we can actually start charging for the actual thing that we want to do. So if you look at like TV and movies, it probably took, what? 80 maybe 100 years to go from tvs being yeah people producing content in terms of motion picture stuff and yeah people were charging for like hollywood movies you know for a really long time if you look at like tv for the longest time tv was free over the air you didn't really have to pay for anything eventually we got cable tv and now you had to pay for specific channels and then you got things like hbo and now you've got things like netflix where you have to pay for specific things that you want to watch and so i think if you look at that parallel in terms of podcasting, we're just about to that point where it's like Netflix has just started, right? Like it's, it's. I think we're kind of at that point. And if you were investing when Netflix just started kind of making their own content and charging for it, I think I'd like to invest in that kind of space. <laughs> and so that's kind of where I think pod- podcasting is right now. We've still got a good, maybe still a good five or 10 years where it's really going to mature in terms of people creating and charging specifically for really high-quality audio-based content. So let's talk about ideas, because I've got, I wrote down some ideas (laughs) that I have for people who want
0: to be involved in the podcasting space as hackers. The first one I have is start a podcast network. A podcast network is basically, instead of just doing one show, you partner with other people who have shows, or you hire other people who have shows, and you kind of work together as a group to basically produce shows under one brand. So you have Gimlet Media, which did this. You have Barstool Sports. You have The Ringer. You have Wondery. Uh, There's a lot of podcast networks who've done this successfully. And I think pretty much all the ones I just listed have gotten acquired (laughs) for hundreds of millions of dollars. It's super lucrative. They all raise money from investors. They use that money to acquire listeners for their podcasts. It's really hard to get listeners for your podcast, even if you have a really good show unless you have access to some really solid distribution channel. It's just difficult to grow through word of mouth alone. So if you can raise some money, you can now, you know, start advertising or paying for podcast ads and other shows. Uh, you grow super quickly. You have this group of people that you can learn from. So when you're doing a podcast by yourself, it's kind of hard to figure out like there's not very much insight into why you're growing or why people are downloading. But if you've got like 10 other podcasters you're working with, it's way easier to, you know, bounce ideas off of each other and figure stuff out. And then what's the end game? You either make a ton of money from ads because you're getting all these listeners, or you just get acquired by one of these podcast hungry companies like Spotify or Apple who are trying to own the podcasting space.
1: I think the biggest struggle for the indie hacker space specifically is, you know, a lot of people want to stay independent. They want to stay separate. They
0: right. don't
1: want to go raise money in terms of, you know, spending and, and things like that. And I think it's a good idea. I think there's also some legal things that you have to be concerned about, like in terms of like, you know, just understanding, especially if you're joining forces at kind of different times in terms of how long the podcasts have been around for. Like, you know, somebody's going to bring listens a month and somebody's going to bring along 5,000 listens a month or even, you know, kind of under that, whatever the scale is. So just understanding what the legal you know, how you kind of organize yourself so that everybody kind of has a kind of a fair shot at at kind of being part of it and kind of understanding who owns it. I think if there was a template out there that kind of outlined how you could kind of structure something like this, I think that would kind of alleviate a lot of people's concerns about how do we even start something like this? I think you just have to talk to people.
0: I think that's the, because
1: there aren't that many podcast networks and there are
0: media networks and like other mediums, but there just aren't that many podcasting networks. So I think you just have to figure out who's doing it. I mean, I'm working on this for indie Hackers, and I'm just emailing people <laughs> and kind of talking to people. Yeah. And I'm in kind of a different situation because indie Hackers doesn't have any revenue right. plan. I don't have to make any money. <laughs> right. And so I don't have to, like, it's it's a very easy sell if I go to a podcaster who's got, like, a, a bootstrapping-related podcast and say, hey, join the podcast network. I'm going to try to get you more downloads <laughs> and give you some mentorship. And I want nothing in return. I'm just trying to spread the word. But I think if you are not me <laughs> and you're like trying to do this yourself, I would talk to people who started podcast networks I think you probably need some sort of advantage. So maybe you can do this if you already are a media company with some sort of distribution advantage or you just have money. Like maybe you're a SaaS and you've got extra money to spend or you've raised money.
1: Yeah, and I think it's also interesting to think about who would you want to partner with as well, right? Like I think that's also the important thing to think about, you know, where's the overlap in your audiences? Is there an overlap in your audiences? You know, is what they're trying to do, you know, are you going to partner with a competitor in your space in some way or something like that as well? Which might not be, bad thing to do right like i mean just because again you're trying to grow the industry as a whole rather than what's my share of the industry so if you can if you can build a network that's going to spread more word about your industry you know like the food industry used to do this a lot right like the pork industry with all all of the pork farmers would kind of form a <laughs> form a coalition or a cooperation or whatever where, and they would spend all that money on kind of advertising to, to have people eat more pork instead of eating chicken and stuff like that so i think that's actually a really good idea if you're trying to grow an industry as well and having a podcast where people can hear more about your industry and kind of what's happening in the industry is an awesome way to kind of make your industry expand as well and i think also you can just think about it as a way of cutting expenses too right like if you're paying an editor to edit your podcast and stuff if you can have three or four podcasts come together you'll probably get a cheaper per podcast episode rate for kind of editing that and also for hosting it'll become cheaper as well because you're paying less for hosting per podcast podcast as well so those economies of scales that come in and that's part of the reason that spotify is buying all of these things is because they've already got the infrastructure and the back office operations that you know the sort of incremental cost of running another podcast for them is tiny because they already have all of those they have the sales team already to kind of sell the ads they already have the hosting already kind of squared away so it's not a big deal and any extra income they make is just all profit so yeah, so you no, know, it's not just about, you know, putting out more episodes, but also think about the sort of infrastructure costs. I think that especially especially right. early on, I think, it would would have a huge impact, I think, as well. I think that's a,
0: a super smart point. And like you said, like this happens in other industries too. I think things kind of get unbundled. You see people, you know, starting individual newsletters. I want to be my own media company or have my own podcast. And eventually people realize like this is ridiculously hard. I don't want to do all this stuff. We should bundle back up. Let's like partner together and start like our own group or media company or something. And also you've seen this with YouTubers and TikTokers and Twitch streamers who are like combining forces and living in these houses to produce content together. So I think this is going to happen with newsletters. You see a lot of people on Substack, like you know, doing yeah. their own thing. I think a year or two from now, you're going to see a lot of people who have joint newsletters or newsletter media companies where they all yeah. partner together and they have different voices and they sort of outsource a lot of the work. So you know, they don't each have to take on all these repetitive jobs like editing and copy editing and promotion, finding advertisers. Maybe it'll happen with podcasting too. I think maybe there's like a room here, is room here to build another platform, like a hosting or publishing platform where you cater specifically to people who want to build a network. And so right now, everything's kind of catered toward individuals, but if you like civically targeted people who want to group up, you build a bunch of features in that direction, and you go around pitching people who are, either already have these early networks, or you help them form these early networks. Maybe there's some space here where you're doing something that nobody else is doing, and you're kind of preempting the way the industry is going to go
1: actually reminds me a little bit of what happened in the blogging industry as well like 10 years back everybody was starting their own blog right and then they realized god trying to find advertisers to you know put sell the little square ads in your little sidebar was just hideously you know hard and to kind of manage it all in terms of putting ads up and putting taking ads down and how do you share traffic what you know what what if you don't publish every day you know there's all these little podcast blogging networks that Popped up the things like Pine Rules was one of those that I was I was kind of around a lot sort of at the time as well and it was the same it was just like yeah we produce content but we don't produce content every day because when we're not really doing blogging per se you know it's you mm. know we 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 kind of run an agency but we want to blog too we, we we're kind of building some software but we want to blog too and so blogging wasn't like the end of of kind of what they were trying to do but they understood that there was value there and there was value post they finishing whatever they were doing that would continue to have value for the next project and hold of the one after that too. And so, yeah, so I think if you want to look for a model, I think that's a really good model in terms of it doesn't have to be like, you know, in terms of everybody agreeing and kind of giving over control, because I think right. this is kind of what you're doing with the Indie Hackers podcast. You're not really taking any ownership stake. You're not really really telling the podcast what they have to do. But you're saying, look, we're going to build a distribution hub, essentially, for content of this particular kind obviously with stripe it's a little bit weird but eventually if you're like okay now we've got hundred thousand people coming to this website every month to to find new content now you can start to advertise as well right. and, and kind of make some money as well but obviously like i said with, with india because it's a little bit of a weird situation i like this idea though
0: of um because you're comparing to like blogging networks where there isn't necessarily an owner who's profiting off of all of this it's just kind of a coalition right. of people who are all loosely networked together And I think that avoids some of these particular problems with, um, like I messaged Sam Parr and Sean Peary this morning about a podcast network. I was like, have you guys ever considered this? Because they have a really cool show, My First Million, I listen to it all the time. And well, like, you know, how do you scale up a show? Either the show has to get really big, or you have to turn into a media company. And Sam was basically (laughs) like, hell no. Uh, If you start anything (laughs) like this, you know, working with creators, they can very easily turn into divas. And it's super true. Like I've seen this with uh, Barstool Sports. They have a pretty big podcast network and they got such a huge distribution channel. They have so many fans that they can take pretty much unheard of people, put their show on their network and start distributing it and just blow (laughs) them up. And so they just go out and find really talented people. Like they found these two women who had the show called Call Her Daddy or something. And they were super entertaining and super talented. Everybody loved them. Their show went from like 100 downloads a month to like I think millions of downloads a month. Right after they got added to Barstool Sports, and now it's just hella drama because any creator who's in the situation is going to realize how much they're worth. To be <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, why should I? Why should I stay here with you taking a cut? Why don't I go independent? Right. And then you've got to figure out how to keep them on and keep them happy, but not pay them like hundred percent of the revenue. And right. it just like Barstool's smart about it because they just publicize literally all of the drama <laughs> and they make podcasts right. about the drama going <laughs> on inside. But I think most people don't want that kind of drama if you're trying to start start a company.
1: Yeah, and it, and it's funny. I mean, if you think about how Spotify started, it was basically just a music network of of artists, right? Like, because again, they didn't own any of the music that they had on Spotify. But yeah, they they figured out. Obviously, it's a little bit different with the way that the industry works from the royalty side of things. But essentially, they just got content, they built a hub, they just attracted people at the hub, and then they yeah. paid a percentage of the revenue back to you know the sort of people that, that were actually listening to the music. And I think you could do something similar. Obviously, with podcasting, it's a little bit different because you don't know who's playing what episodes and all that kind of stuff. But if you were going to fund the network with advertising, you could do that in terms of... We know how many people visited your particular podcast page on the network, so we're going to give you X percent of the revenue of the ads. You know, you could you could organize it like that. I think it would be probably pretty easy to spin up something like this. And you know, once you get to a certain amount of scale to sell ads, I think would be really easy as well because people who are not on your network but want exposure on your network would pay for the ads. And the people who want exposure but they don't necessarily want to pay for it would want to be part of the network instead. So so I think there's lots of different opportunities there to kind of attract more talent, but also attract people who want to pay you to be a part of it as well. I'm curious what you think about Spotify because you
0: mentioned that they started off with just music and their founder has talked about how he just realized, like he said, oh, when I started Spotify, I thought it would be nothing but music, but now I've realized our mission is really all of audio. And what we're <laughs> going to do is capture the podcast space and you know they've been doing that they've been buying every big show it seems like every big podcast network they just bought a big podcast host yesterday called megaphone for like 250 million dollars they're just trying to own the podcasting space and there's this idea called brace extend and extinguish have you heard of this yes yeah. yeah it's kind of funny i mean microsoft did this in the 90s and the justice department didn't like it. <laughs> No, <laughs> yes. this is the exact phrase they use internal in the company. This is not something that other people said. Like Microsoft execs are saying, yeah, we embrace a standard. So a standard might be like RSS for podcasting or yep. HTML for websites. You know, they use it. Everybody loves them. They play nice. Once they're big, they extend it and add all sort of proprietary features, yep. and then they extinguish it. <laughs> they try to kill everybody else. So they are the only
1: owners. That's what Microsoft did with Internet Explorer, right? Like, Because they embraced open standards at the beginning, and then they're like, well, we got to add this little thing that only works in Internet Explorer, and it's proprietary. Nobody else can implement it. And yeah, yeah. and that's kind of how they kind of killed the market there. I have mixed feelings about Spotify. I mean, I like what they're doing. I think, obviously, apart from the content side of things, like in terms of buying the Joe Rogan podcast, obviously, you know, At some point, they're going to make it. I guess that's the one thing with podcasts, right? Like, It's very difficult to not let people listen to podcasts at all on other platforms because you've got this, at least at this point, you've still got these RSS feeds and things like that. And even if you look at iTunes as well, even though iTunes has original content inside of their kind of podcasting space as well. It's essentially just an unpublished RSS feed as well, just because right. it has to feed into the iTunes application as well. And so if you know what the RSS feed is, you can you can figure out, you can listen to it on whatever platform you want to listen to it on. So as long as they don't push too far down that road of like, you know, really putting in that walled garden around their content and make it so that you have to listen to it within, within their kind of platform and and do that. I'm cool with them doing it. Cause one is just helping solidify the industry. Like I think like a year or two ago, people didn't really know what was happening in podcasting. Everybody knew it was going to be big, but they didn't quite know how big, and they didn't know how it was going to take up. The next level, I think Spotify answered that in terms of like there's a lot of money here, there's a lot of opportunity here, and we're putting a lot of money, you know, in terms of staking that we think is going to be really big. But, (laughs) but you know, but because they're a, a Swedish company in Europe, I think one, they're going to be hamstrung a little bit more than something like Microsoft was in the US just because of the way that the sort of legal systems work in Europe as compared to over here. So I'm kind of hopeful that the sort of regulators will keep a kind of close eye on things a little bit. And so far, I don't think they've done anything horrible to the industry yet. So until they do something horrible to the industry, I can't really fault them for kind of doing what they have done kind of until now. I don't know, man. I kind of see it coming. Like I'm, yeah. I'm looking ahead. It's like, well,
0: Spotify is a $50 billion public company. They're not trying to make small moves. They're trying to make big moves. And I think you're completely right. Like it's very hard to stop people when podcasts are published on this open standard from listening on other players. But Spotify is kind of moving in that direction where they, they're like on the extend step of embrace, extend, extinguish. <laughs> yes. So they've got... I think they just introduced polling this year, where as a podcast host, you can kind of add polls to your podcast. So I could ask a question and listeners right now would see on their Spotify app, a poll pop up and they could give me like, you know, instant feedback or vote on different answers and see the results. And I could see the results too as the host and no other podcast player can do that. And so if they keep extending the sort of spec for podcasts and adding all these proprietary features, you're going to see lots of podcasts that like only really make sense (laughs) <laughs> if you're listening on Spotify, <laughs> the poll like, just doesn't show up on another player, so you kind of have to download Spotify. And then they've extended it, but ideally they get a lead. And then they can work towards <laughs> extinguishing every other platform because they've got a monopoly. But I don't think they're there yet. I think if I look at my downloads right now, it's something like 10% of my downloads come from Spotify. And no. like 30 40% come from iTunes and Apple Podcasts, which is really kind of the Internet Explorer of podcasting where they own the whole space yeah. they're built into ios and mac os so you like everybody has it as their default podcast player and they haven't really done anything to innovate so they're almost exactly like internet explorer
1: yeah and like i said i mean i can see it coming too like i mean why would they spend that amount of money not to kind of try and control it from end to end but they haven't quite yet so like i said i can see it coming too but until they actually do something that's kind of horrific and horrendous that's going to hurt the industry. you are
0: going to reserve judgment.
1: I can't blame them for something they haven't done yet. It's like minority report movie. Like, you know, like, have they actually committed the crime yet? I, I don't know. I, I can't sue them for the crime they haven't actually committed yet. <laughs> this is like the
0: Empire, like, floating outside your planet building the Death Star. And you're watching them build the Death Star.
1: And you're like, maybe they're going to use it for good. <laughs> it's just a really big taxi that they're going to use to take people from one place to another. It's not really going to be something that's going to, like, annihilate entire... It, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they did a survey too i was reading a tweet from a journalist who opened spotify and he got a survey and it was like let's say there was exclusive spotify only podcast content and we had another subscription how much would you pay for it three dollars a month eight dollars a month so like they're surveying users to try to lock up some of these content like these podcasts joe rogan's gonna remove all of his content from i think youtube and other like the sort of apple rss feed
1: I mean, it is going to be interesting to see how they do. I mean, look, it happened everywhere else, right? So why wouldn't it happen in podcasts? It happened on in TV. Everything used to be over the air. Then it went to cable, and now it's all streaming, and you have to go buy specific things. It, I mean, it happened elsewhere. So it is going to happen in podcasting, too. It's a matter of when it will happen. I guess, you know, ultimately, too, as long as they're treating the talent well can you really argue with it too like as long as joe rogan's making a whole lot of money from it and he's producing great content that people want to listen to and they're willing to pay for it can you fault them for that either like as long as they're treating people well and making a lot of money by uh, along the way as well i don't like it but i can understand it and to some right. degree i have to live with it as well <laughs> we don't
0: have a choice right <laughs> what are your ideas in the podcasting space we talked about podhunt but you've got podcast ping you've got a couple others what are you thinking about building
1: yeah i mean i think it you know it comes down to yeah there's obviously you know when when you think about a podcast, there's things that you need to do you know obviously there's things like hosting that you need to do there's just like any other content, you know, you need to be able to promote your content and do all those kind of things. So, yeah, you know, I'm I'm thinking about like what's the life cycle of a podcast, and how can we ease that a little bit? How can we make it easier for people to start podcasts? How can we make people to host podcasts, and then how can we make it easier to? for people to promote podcasts as well. So I've kind of got a few (laughs) things, kind of a few irons in the fire there in terms of, so there's podcast ping, which is, okay, you've got a podcast, you've got people listening to it, you've got... Advertising or advertising on it, but now like your website for your podcast, your podcast feed itself needs to actually be up and available so people can access it and listen to it. How do you know if your website is down? How do you know if your RSS feed is offline because of your hosting company or whatever? So podcast ping is just a service for podcasts just to keep an eye on all of the different parts of your podcast to make sure that people can access it. And if, when it's, when it's offline, we'll, you know, we'll, it will just email you and tell you, Hey, there's, there's an issue and people might not be able to listen to your podcast. That's one thing that, that I've been building. Podcast hosting review, which is one of the ones you mentioned when you look through my I worked on list there. Yeah, again, people need to be able to know where to host their podcast. And like you mentioned, there's apps like Anchor, there's the Megaphone. Transistor, Buzzsprout, like, you know, 50 probably now different hosting options into hosting your podcast. So how do you know which is a good podcast or a host or a bad podcast host? Mostly you go and find reviews of a bunch of them and and see which ones are good or or not. Um, So Podcast Hosting Review is a site that kind of aggregates all the different hosts and then aggregates the reviews of of kind of all of those as well. So you can make a well-informed choice about which features make sense for you, what kind of makes sense from a functionality standpoint and a price standpoint too, hopefully as well. So that's kind of another thing. There's a couple of others which are kind of in the works that I've had in the works for a while, but, you know, can only really do so much. <laughs> but um, one of them is is more like if you've got an idea for a podcast, how do you know if it's a good idea? Will you Will people actually want to listen to a podcast about that particular topic? And so it's kind of a kind of like a Kickstarter kind of idea where you know people come up with an idea, they kind of make a page for a podcast that they're thinking about, and then people can say, yes, I would listen to that or I would pay X amount to listen to that. So something along those lines, just to kind of get a sense of, is it actually a good idea to actually do this podcast? Just because you can record an episode about something doesn't mean you should. <laughs> These are great ideas. I like the uh,
0: podcast hosting review yeah. site. A few years ago, I interviewed Steve Benjamins. And the Indie Hackers website. So, if you Google like Site Builder Report, Indie Hackers, his interview will come up. And I don't know what he's making now, but at the time he was making like $40,000 a month as a one person operation. (laughs) And he just had a blog where he was reviewing website builders. (laughs) And so, when you're thinking about like, oh, should I go with Wix? Should I use Squarespace or Webflow? Like, his site will come up. And he has like this whole rating system for how he reviews different website builders and which ones you should use. And he's kind of like this objective reviewer. And he has a standard where he doesn't let any of these companies pay him to influence his reviews. And so he's just been working at it for years. And then he think, I think he takes like an affiliate sort of fee. So if you end up clicking on one of these website builders and going through his website and buying you know, their services, he gets some sort of cut. And the fact that he can make 40 grand a month doing that, basically just reviewing tools that other people made, he's kind of like a curator. So, the fact that you could do the same thing in in pretty much any industry, okay, what podcast host should I use? I think the answer to that question is not obvious. Even to me, when I started Indie Hackers, I just kind of like, I think someone just, who was a listener uh, after a few episodes, was like, hey, you switched to our host. We're new, we're Indie Hackers, and I wanted to support them. And I had no clue what to look for. But now I know a lot more. Like, there are different podcast hosting kind of download measurement statistics. So, one of the things I realized, I switched to transistor this year and my downloads dropped like 40%. It turns out there's a bunch of different ways that podcast hosts measure your downloads. And there's a lot of ways to get fake downloads from bots, etc. And some hosts are just better at filtering those out than others. And there's, in fact, like an entire standard called the IAB sort of V2 standard. And like Chartable uses it, but other podcast hosts don't. So, if you actually want accurate stats, you need to pick a host that uses the standard, which is the vast minority of hosts. So probably most podcasts out there are getting way fewer real downloads than they actually think. So if you had a site like this, you could tell people about this kind of stuff that they just don't really know.
1: Yeah, and in terms of that kind of stuff, especially if you want to start you know, having people pay you to kind of advertise on your podcast, you know, have, having something that follows a standard like that, because you can say that my host is IAB certified, that people know that they're actually getting, or at least industry-wide, they're getting it's the same standard, right? right? In terms of, I've got 100,000 downloads now. Compared to who, but compared to all the hosts who are using that same standard as well. So yeah, it's funny because I I do go back to this parallel to like, it's like the blogging industry a lot because it is, it really is like a very, cause I was, so I was doing some research to see what, what people were making, just doing blogging and stuff. And yeah, you know, I found there was probably a good number of people making twenty thirty thousand $30,000 a month from blogging. And I was like, how are these people making money from blogging? Without, you know, plastering their their blog with lots of ads on there and stuff like that. And I found the vast majority of people who are making good money with blogging is, you know, showing people other people how to do blogging. (laughs) (laughs) But how do they make money from that? It's an affiliate program with all of these different hosts for hosting blogs, whether it's WordPress or Paloo Host or, you know, any of these other kind of site hosting and blog hosting platforms. And they have pretty generous affiliate programs some of them are just kind of a one-time payment but you know it's anywhere from like 50 to 100 dollars if somebody actually signs up and then some people do it more like it's just going to be a recurring amount so if somebody signs up for the amount of time that they sign up you'll make 10 percent of whatever they pay to sort of host as well and so yeah so I'm, i'm kind of hoping that you know once podcast hosting review kind of establishes itself that there's some opportunity either through featuring hosts or doing affiliate links or whatever. Mostly I did podcasting, hosting, review as a way to kind of uh, be a kind of a lead magnet for podcast ping right like if somebody's coming to podcast hosting review to find a host at some point they're going to need podcast ping to know if that host is actually up and if the feed's up and all that kind of stuff too so i've got my own reasons for kind of starting podcast hosting review but but i but i can also see a good opportunity to actually a way for it to actually make some significant income on its own as well it's a cool thing about working on a lot of A lot of products at the same time. They have this. uh, They just like
0: work well together. And if like one of them works really well, you can use that to help drive a lot of traffic or users or data to another one that maybe wouldn't have succeeded on its own. But like you've got this cool synergy going on. And uh, podcast ping in particular, I think is a cool idea because it's a tool. So I, I talked to Rob Walling a few weeks ago, and he's. Investing in you know companies that otherwise would have bootstrapped, and he's really big on picks and shovels. There's a gold rush; people are all doing a particular thing. Don't do that thing that everyone's doing. <laughs> just build the tools that they need. You know, sell them some shovels where they dig for gold, and like you don't have to find any gold; you're going to get rich. And if uh, podcasting seems to be a big thing, everyone's starting a podcast. What are the different tools that you can make to support podcasters instead of just being a podcaster yourself, which is super competitive and hard and kind of stressful? You can make an uptime monitoring service <laughs> for podcasts. You can make a Uh, What else is there? There's uh, Wave, which does kind of like, you know, clipping audio and sharing it to social media. And I had their founders on the podcast earlier this year, and they're crushing it. Just selling kind of this tool to podcasters to help them basically get more listeners. You've got, uh, I wonder if somebody has like a podcast hosting, kind of like a podcast site builder, because I was looking at the Syntax podcast, and they have a beautiful website that looks nothing like any other podcast website I've ever seen. But you've easily got like a list of all the things you can build and they've got all their players like it just looks great.
1: I think they've got there's an indie hacker actually who runs podcast page. I think it's podcastpage.io, I think it is, which is basically just you point your RSS feed mm. at it and it will make a beautiful site for you automatically. This is cool. Yeah. So that's another interesting They're like, you know, kind of avenue for it's supporting the industry as a whole. Exactly. But you're doing it in an interesting way yeah i I mean i think you know obviously if you can make money doing something you can make money helping other people do the same thing right (laughs) so in terms of like what your market opportunity is yes you can build a podcast and you can build a very successful podcast and in a few years you'll make a lot of money or you can build a tool that will people will pay you right from the beginning that will help you make some money along the way and hopefully will you know become i mean like i think wave was doing something like 30 or 40 thousand dollars a month now that's pretty damn good money <laughs> yeah we're using riverside to record this i've used so many different <laughs> podcast
0: recording platforms so a lot of people use zoom yeah but zoom isn't made for podcasting so back when i started i was using zencaster which is the coolest thing ever at the time because it's like you log on to the website or you just give your guest a link it's like no fuss no hassle they jump in you don't have to like record separate audio it just recorded locally in your browser and your guest browser, and then would upload their locally recorded version, so it would be super crystal clear audio quality. And then I switched to Squadcast, which was cool because it added video, so I could make eye contact while I'm talking to you <laughs> and I'm on Riverside, which will record the video. And as far as I'm aware, all of these companies are actually doing really well, just creating
1: basically the same tool for people <laughs> who want to record podcasts. Yeah again, that's just another sign I think that the podcast industry is such at such an early stage, right like this is a very I mean tools like this. Uh, the fact that they're really just popping up over the last six or seven months or so just is another sign that, one, there's just a lot of opportunity for people still looking to improve their workflow in sort of putting out podcasts and things. But I also think tools like this that make it easier for people to put out more podcasts will just mean that there's more podcasts coming out as well. Exactly. Which means that the podcast industry as a whole even though yeah, people like Spotify might try and wall up certain parts of it with the celebrities and stuff. But the cool thing about podcasting has literally been that anybody can publish a podcast. And I think th- tools like this are just going to make it so that more people publish more stuff like this as well. So you know, that kind of, I think, compounds on itself. And I think that's kind sort of the other reason that I think I'm just really kind of into the space itself. Well, listen, we
0: have a million other things on our list to talk about, <laughs> but we basically just talked for an hour <laughs> yes. about podcasting. We didn't even get to the creator economy <laughs> and all this other cool stuff. But I want to have you on later to talk about this stuff because I think it's very tied in, this idea that you as an indie hacker kind of have this choice. You know, do you want to be someone who creates content? Do you want to build tools for people creating this content? Or do you want to build kind of the platforms that connect listeners or readers to the people creating the content? And there's people doing all three of them. Uh, and there's a lot to be said there. And you've got some cool stuff you're working on in both areas, and so do I.
1: I think the important thing there is like leaning to who you are. Like some people are going to be really awesome in front of a microphone and they're going to want to talk about lots of content and talk to lots of different people. And some people are going to want to write code in the background and, and things like that. So, there's no one right answer for kind of everybody, but and it, but it's awesome that there's like so many different options now. And I think there's kind of a few exceptions in terms of like, there's some really talented people out there who are happy to do all of those. And I, obviously those are like the sort of elite kind of rock stars out there. I don't think you should let that put you off. If there's something that you're interested in, there's lots of different avenues that you can explore. And I think, I think there's lots of opportunity there as well. Yeah, and I'll add to that.
0: I think your kind of funding choices play into that as well. Because if you're trying to build a platform, a platform is almost always kind of a winner-take-all thing. Like Spotify is trying to own all the podcasts for a reason, and they have to kind of raise a war chest to do it. Whereas if you're an indie hacker, you don't want to raise money. I like the tool-based approach that you're going down, that the Riverside guys are doing, that Wave is doing, where you don't really need to raise money to build a tool. You could just build a tool in a very short amount of time, make it super quick and dirty and scrappy, sell it to early adopters, and then if like you get big enough, you can raise money. Riverside just raised, I think, two and a half million dollars. They announced, and they're doing a ton of revenue in a very short amount of time. Like Riverside did not exist this time last year, so you kind of have that splitting path. So I think if you're an indie hacker, consider consider the tools that are missing or the niches you can target.
1: Yeah, one of the things I had on the list to talk about was the sort of idea of like what's the valuation of Hop into, you know? They went from eight months ago not existing to a two billion dollar valuation. Uh, they just raised two hundred million dollars, I think, earlier this week. So again, that's a tool for doing virtual events because of the pandemic that we're a part of. And so just identifying these trends and, and building a very simple tool and it's a very simple tool, right? Like it's it's virtual events. I mean, it's not. Ex- I mean, people have been trying to do this stuff for years, but because the world changed around them. It went from zero to, I think they were going to do $80 million in revenue, I think it was, in the last six or seven months. Being in the right place at the right time can be really helpful as well. Super helpful. Well, listen, Mubs, it's been a pleasure as always.
0: Can you let listeners know where they can go to find out uh, about all these different projects you're working on and whatever is top of mind for you?
1: Yeah, the best place to connect with me is on Twitter at Mabashar Iqbal. If you want to see the list of the 97, soon to be 98 projects <laughs> that um, <laughs> I've been working on, it is iWorkedOn.com. <laughs> All right, Mobs, take it easy.
0: All right, thank you. Listeners, if you enjoyed this episode and you want an easy way to support the podcast, you should leave a review for us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Probably the fastest way to get there if you're on a Mac is to visit IndieHackers.com slash reviews. I really appreciate your support and I read pretty much all the reviews you leave over there. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, I will see you next time.